Hello, Richard Lane here with the Lancet podcast for March the 10th to the 16th. This week sees the launch of proposals for a UK strategy on global health. I'll be talking to the author of a public health article in this week's issue. Before that, some other highlights this week. Two articles published online, one by The Lancet, another by The Lancet Neurology, show promising results for occipital lobe stimulation as a possible treatment option for severe cluster headache, a debilitating condition not alleviated by drug therapy. From The Lancet issue this week, an ecological study by Japanese authors shows a clear association between asbestos exposure in the 1960s and pulmonary diseases such as asbestosis and mesothelioma, stressing the need for an asbestos ban across all countries of the world. A randomised trial from the Netherlands shows that early intervention for people with non-ST elevation acute coronary syndrome offers no benefits over a more conservative approach. And in our new clinical update section, authors from Australia and the UK highlight how post-operative pain, something many of us will have experienced, could be much better controlled by the implementation of simple measures, mainly drug combinations to increase pain relief. But back to our main feature. This week has seen the launch of proposals for a new UK government strategy on global health. We cover this in a public health article in this week's issue. This is also the subject of a comment in this week's issue entitled Health as an Instrument of Foreign Policy, written by our editor, Richard Horton. Earlier, I spoke to one of the authors of this article, Dr. Nick Bannett-Lava. One has to start at looking at the headline statistics in terms of health and well-being. Uh, most people, when they think about global health, think about communicable disease, maternal health, perinatal conditions, and nutritional deficiencies. And they're right, that's, you know, that's responsible for about 30% of deaths and some 30% of ill health. But actually, deaths and illnesses from chronic diseases are increasingly important. Four out of five deaths, for example, from chronic diseases now occur in low-income and middle-income countries. And that figure often takes people by surprise. Ischemic heart disease, people think of that being a Western disease, is the number two cause of death worldwide amongst 15 to 59-year-olds. And if you look at the eight leading causes of disease burden amongst adults, you've got HIV and TB, so you've got communicable disease, but then number two, you've got depressive disorders, and you've got road traffic accidents, and you've got alcohol and violence. So actually, it's a massive array, and it's not just simply one magic bullet that's going to deal with this. It's more than communicable disease control. It's more than health systems. It's more than any one country or actor, or let alone ministry or department can deal with. It's, it's, the agenda is cuts right across all aspects of health and social development. And related to that, though, we've already got these global targets. We've got the Millennium Development Goals, many of which cover health. And quite recently, we had WHO, the World Health Organization, talking up the social determinants of health. So there's already a lot going on. What else do we need? Well, there is a lot going on. You're right. The Millennium Development Goals, three are directly related to health, and there are several others that will impact on health, gender equality, and environmental sustainability ones. And there's the overarching goal about eradicating uh, extreme poverty. And that's one that's worth just focusing on a bit. Way back in 2001, Dr. Brundtland from WHO, the Director General at that stage, published the findings of the Commission Macroeconomics and Health, which made it clear that investing in health was sound economic policy. The world has not really taken that on sufficiently at the moment. So while people recognize the importance of tackling AIDS, TB, and malaria, maternal health, I don't think that we have recognized the potential that investing in health will have on improving the health of the world population. And... Dr. Bennett-Lava, 
In terms of globalization, you touch on this in the public health article. The effect of globalization has both just positive and negative implications for global health, doesn't it? It does. There are, there are people that talk about globalization being a force for good or a force for, for, for bad. I'm not sure that it's, it's, it's either of those. Globalization is, is here to stay, and we need to harness those benefits and minimize the risks. And the benefits are substantial from improved trade, from sharing, if you like, of, of research in the health field, from pooling of financial, technical, intellectual resources to, to, if you like, solve common problems. Maybe those are in terms of vaccine development, but we've got some innovative financing through things like the International Finance Facility for Immunization, the establishment of global funds and, and issues such as climate change, which in the future may be one of the biggest issues that, that we face. Then in terms of risks, all of those, if you like, have a potential downside. You've got improved trade, but you could have the risk of unfair trade and certainly unfair regulation of trade, an equitable distribution of natural resources, which in many parts of sub-Saharan Africa is a prime motivator for conflicts. And then something which has been recently very topical, and that's the effect of poorly managed migration. And Dr. Bennett Lava, your paper highlights some very strong linkages between global health and more broad aspects of global and economic life. That's right. We identify five uh, in this paper. There's the linkage between uh, health, global health, and security and health protection. Pandemic flu is an obvious example, but actually also in areas of terrorism or fragile states and conflict. The second area is around sustainable development. And we've talked about the Millennium Development Goals and we've talked about the Commission Microeconomics and Health. And in that report, the Commission identified a basic healthcare package would generate massive economic benefits, some 360 billion US dollars a year and would save some 8 million lives per year. Then in terms of trade, the health industry is worth some 3 trillion US dollars each year. And there's potential for corruption in that area. And then final two is around the area of global public health goods. We've seen the massive effect that smallpox eradication has had, and polio will have shortly too. And then finally, the linkage between the human rights agenda and global health. Thanks for that. Now, in terms of the new UK government's strategy or proposal for a strategy on global health. What can this offer that goes over and above what governments, non-governmental organizations right across the world, the whole partnership process that's going on at the moment, what's it going to add? How's it going to add value? One particular aspect of global health is the development agenda. And the UK Department of International Development has created over the last few years a very strong and powerful movement with other development partners for moving that agenda forward. We've seen that in 2005 with the G8 presidency and Glen Eagles, the Live Aid agenda. It's often at the centre of the public's attention. What I think is less clear is getting on the agenda some of the wide and broader uh, areas about global health that I talked a bit about earlier, the areas about global security, the issues around trade. But what can this actually achieve? I think there are three things. I think there's, first of all, the issue of legitimacy for individual government departments and agencies to invest more in global health right across government and in the, civil, in the civil, sector, civil society sector as well. The second area is around the area of accountability. There are a number of frameworks that already exist across government, but what we can do with this particular strategy is we can ensure that we have a mechanism for much greater accountability for moving forward on those frameworks. 
And then finally, we can't do everything, so we need to prioritize. And to do that, we need to identify what the criteria are going to be to determine what those strategic priorities should be. And it would seem sensible that we need to focus on global health risks that are important to the UK, that are a real threat to the UK population, communicable diseases such as HIV and TB, and SARS are good examples of that. We need to focus on areas where we have particular expertise and we can really make a difference. We need to identify priorities where the outcomes are measurable. And finally, we need to identify areas where perhaps the work cuts across several government departments. Thank you for that. And clearly, these are the aims and, if you like, proposals that you're launching this week. What's the process from here on in? How are you going to put flesh on the bones of these proposals? How is it actually going to take shape? We have currently a steering group that consists of all government departments and some other government agencies, such as the Health Protection Agency. We've met a couple of times already, and we will continue meeting over the next six months as we develop this strategy. We will want a substantial non-governmental inputs and engagement as we develop the priorities and we will have to assess a few specific technical areas in terms of global financing and some of the tensions for example between trade and development and some of the human rights issues. Towards awesome time we will be in a position to launch the strategy. No doubt we'll be following that when you're ready to launch it. Dr. Banat Lava, thank you very much for talking to The Lancet. Dr. Nick Bannett-Lava from the UK Department of Health concluding this week's podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week.